Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People Podcast. I'm Michelle Kane, your co host and founder of World of Vegan. And I'm Tony Okamoto, your co host and founder of Plant Based on a Budget and Food Sharing Vegan. On this show, we talk with plant powered people from all around the world about various aspects of plant based living to empower you, our dear listener, to learn, explore, and evolve in a kind, sustainable, and healthy direction, all while eating the most delicious food and having a ton of fun. Today, we are thrilled to bring on superstar plant-based mother-daughter duo, Anne and Jane Esselstyn. At age 86 and 56, Anne and Jane Esselstyn are pictures of ageless health and vibrancy and spend their days hiking, doing yoga, gardening, cooking, and spreading the message that diet is the key to living a happy, strong, and disease-free life. The Esselstyn family is three generations plant strong, following the research of Jane's father, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, who authored the best-selling book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, and who we had on the show previously. And we actually had close to the whole family on the show with Jane's brother, Rip Esselstyn, who inspired his firehouse to go vegan. And we'll link both of their episodes in the show notes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. We hope you enjoy the show. But first, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors of this episode, Paco and Careway Home. Our first sponsor, Paco Foods, is really changing the landscape of dog food with their meaty dog food that's actually made from plants. The dog food world is gnarly, friends. Most kibbles out there use the lowest grade meat available that's not fit for human consumption. And I actually recently learned that there is even a legal amount of euthanasia drug allowed to be present in dog food. Let what that means sink in for a moment. Super, super sad and disgusting. We know that dogs are omnivores like us. They're not obligate carnivores like cats, and they can thrive on a plant-based diet, a meat diet, or a mix of both. So enter Paco, the first meat dog food that's made from plants, but specially developed for dogs. It includes all the vitamins, minerals, protein, nutrients that dogs need to thrive and dogs love it. If you're eager to see how much your dog will love the taste of Paco food, you can get 50% off your first box right now when you visit mypaco.com. That's mypawco.com. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Caraway Home. Caraway makes the most beautiful, modern, non-toxic, eco-friendly, non-stick, easy-to-clean cookware. It features a ceramic coating with a natural slick surface that food literally slides off of. All sets come equipped with easy access storage solutions so that no stacking is required and you don't lose your lids because that is not fun. And if you follow Michelle and I on Instagram, you've probably seen how beautiful they are. We love them and over 30,000 people have raved about them with their five-star reviews. So now it's time for you to try them out yourself. Visit carawayhome.com slash plant powered kitchen to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off of your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So again, visit carawayhome.com slash plant powered kitchen or use the code plant powered kitchen at checkout. Jane and Anne, it is such a pleasure and a privilege to have you both on the Plant Powered People podcast. Welcome. It is so great to be here. Thank you for having us on. We are very excited to be with you both. It is so perfect for us too, because now we've had almost the entire family on and to hear all of the different aspects of how the journey went and all the different perspectives, because you were each on your own individual paths. Having all the puzzle pieces fit together is really cool. And it's also awesome for our audience. Well, Tony, we have, there's 20 of us in our family, actually. So, so you've got a couple more. season. It'll just be season Esselstyn's. <laughs> yes. Season of Esselstyn's, yes. They're all plant-based. That's insane. Uh, what is that yeah. age range? Eight to 88. Eight to 88. Wow. And everyone's thriving. So that's amazing. 
That is so cool. I also, I wanted to share, and I'm sure you don't remember this, but I actually met you when I was in college back in like 2008, probably. I went to Case Western Reserve University. And at the time I had recently gone vegan and I had an animal rights group that I had started there. And we brought, we wanted to bring Dr. Esselstyn and you to Case to do a talk about preventing and reversing heart disease. And Boy, did he leave a mark in my brain (laughs) and definitely inspire me to become passionate about health. But you also left quite a mark. I have never (laughs) seen someone so energetic, so passionate about food, just so alive on this stage (laughs) as you. So thank you for being there that day. And it's so, so cool so many years later to now be chatting again and get to know more about you and your story and how you paved the way for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to take steps toward their health, but also your own family of 20 to be plant-based. Well, I'm so incredible. impressed that you did that in, a, at eight, you know, in college because cases <laughs> were local. So that's, that's so, um, I love that. It's so bold. Yeah. But it's exciting to see that, you know, sometimes you don't know what happens with when people get a message, mm-hmm. where it goes, look where (laughs) that message went. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I want to start with you first because I feel like your story ties into a lot of what you're talking about in your new book and what that's like as the chef of the family to get this message that, hey, the way that you've been cooking is no longer the way you're going to be cooking going forward for our family. And we heard from your husband and I'd love to now hear from you. How did Dr. Esselstyn break the news to you about the changes that your family was going to make regarding food? Was it gently? Was he like, Hey, well, can we please do this? Or was it Was it like more dramatic? Like, we've got to make a change. This is harming people. And then how did you take that information? I think she's being an amnesiac right now. No, 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 (laughs) no. It's hard to tell you because it was, he was, he was involved in thinking about this for a very long time. And so when he made the decision, this is how I'm going to eat. And so, of course, that is how I was going to eat. However, I had plenty of reason to go along with it because my mother had died of breast cancer and when she was 52. And uh, my sister then just around this time came down with breast cancer. So it was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. I have to do this. So I did it. And, and believe it or not, at that time, <laughs> we were alone in Cleveland as far as we knew nobody who ate plant based. I mean, even the plant based didn't exist then, who ate vegan, even vegetarian. Those were sort of strange words. And there was no this is like internet. There were no books that we know of, except we didn't, we were aware of the McDougals that, you know, this kind of thing existed, but it was just, so we, we figured it out and we had horrible food sometimes and, <laughs> and great food. Fortunately, we had been in Puerto Rico just a little, sometime around then. And we had loved rice and beans. So that's where we started. And believe it or not, that's where we still are. That's where we still are. (laughs) We have guests, it's rice and beans, because you can just do so many different things with rice and beans. And our family family celebrates a very, you know, pagan version of Christmas, but we we have our Christmas Eve dinner is rice and beans. (laughs) It's also an economical option when you're feeding a large group of people too. Oh, and especially if you, you know, get the beans from scratch. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what were you eating before that? What was well, your way of cooking before? Well, we, this were, big we were different from everybody because we drank skim milk and we, we didn't eat eggs. We, we, had, did, oh, we stopped eating bread. eggs. And we, yes, but we Our did. peanut butter was always the kind that separated and people would be like, oh, your peanut butter is bad. We're like, no, it's just <laughs> the oil is separated from the peanut. You got to stir it. 
but we ate my friends hated eating at our house because we were we were an ingredient household we didn't have like but when i think about it now it was it was horrible yeah (laughs) i mean my husband often would (laughs) i can't believe this and we'd have a dinner i mean this was way long you know this was years ago we'd finish dinner and he'd have mayonnaise and peanut butter on some kind of toast Ooh. just or i don't know somehow i can remember and a banana I thought. oh I, maybe a banana i don't know gross. somehow but it was gross <laughs> not the banana <laughs> the mayonnaise <laughs> the peanut butter even but just like what was up with the mayonnaise on there as well oh the banana on it oh interesting well, well whatever like, were you feeling overwhelmed by the change at first because it's not only you you're thinking about, it's you and your husband and your children. And I know that even sometimes the people listening to our podcast and even us, when we started our own journeys, it can feel overwhelming to let go of some of the things that you had been enjoying for ever and your family had been enjoying forever. So what was that like for you? And then to bring your kids on board? It's hard. Our youngest son was still at home when we when we flipped and changed, and our other kids were off at college. But we'd always been a little different on food, and crazily enough, they all and Jane can talk to it came in into this over time. But the thing is that I fought it at, in a way, but I didn't because I knew. <laughs> that it was important. And I began to see it work with patience. And it's turned out that my whole focus on eating has always been with those heart disease patients in mind. Whenever I look at a recipe, I mean, it's because my husband is no meat, no oil, no dairy, no nuts, no avocado. That's where my focus tends to be mm-hmm. on food. This book that we've written is got that and then the broader one. Before we move over to Jane, because Jane has a very interesting story on her own. So, but before we wrap up with the kids specifically and the one at home, was there pushback? Because that's something we hear all the time is my kid won't get on board and is refusing to eat. How do you make it appealing or how did you make this big transition appealing to your little one at home? You know, he was I'm a bad one to ask because I kind of, as Jane says, I'm a bully for good. You know, you either eat this or you don't eat. And I know that's crazy. And, and, but Zeb could have gone off out and eaten, eaten whatever he chose or one at home. But it was a benign, I, you know, democ- a benign yeah. dictatorship of, of eating plant-based. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I feel, I feel so sorry for the families that have to cook three different meals for everybody. And I, I mean, I do think that kid, it's so important to get kids involved in the cooking and in the, in even the growing. I mean, just in all of it, especially little ones. Then, then they aren't going to give you much pushback when they have sort of, you know, this part of what they can, they do. Mm-hmm. I'm not a good one to ask that just because I don't have patience for <laughs> people that won't taste. I mean, I can remember a three-year-old granddaughter, our oldest granddaughter, who is now 28 when she was three, it was uh, November and it was the time when you have Brussels sprouts and I got a whole stem of Brussels stock. sprouts. Big stock. And we, I, we cooked, she, we, I, she helped me take them off the stem. We cut the things, we cooked them, put them in a bowl. I strained them. We sat on the floor and she looked at me and she said, I don't eat those. And I said, well, all you have to do is eat one little leaf. And Flynn probably ate 20 Brussels sprouts. And it, after that, her birthday came in December right? December 27th. And she was in preschool. And you took at that time treats. And her treat was Brussels sprouts. Wow. wow. I love That's that. It's parents dream. Yeah, I have a two and a half year old right now. And so we're in the no phase, like he'll just say no to everything. And it's interesting around different people who just accept when a kid says no, as okay, I'll respect that. But 
when you just keep modeling or keep presenting the food or encourage them to try it and make it look yummy and they do, then it becomes a favorite food. So yeah, that's right. And also kids don't like certain things. I mean, they just don't like them. And I know in Jane's children growing up, they're all three of Jane's children liked broccoli and they had broccoli every single night. The kids started out only liking the top part of the broccoli, the little leafy part. And today, all of them eat the whole thing, including the stems. And they eat everything. But, you know, I do think that is important, that if you find something kids will eat, feed it to them. If your child just refuses, there are a lot of options of making something that they are familiar with and stuffing more neutral tasting vegetables in there like mm-hmm. spinach and or making something fun like I just made a dinosaur smoothie that Graham's obsessed with dinosaurs and he was watching a dinosaur video so I'm gonna make, I was like I'm gonna make a green dinosaur milkshake which is just bananas plant milk <laughs> and spinach there's nothing <laughs> yucky in there and he loves it and it tastes like a straight up milkshake is it Tony or Michelle that's Michelle, Michelle. Dinosaur kale needs to go in the dinosaur milkshake. Oh, yeah. Dino kale. He does. Yeah. Too. We have a little indoor plant garden and kale's growing on it. So sometimes I'll pick the kale off our indoor garden himself and put it in the smoothie. And that's the other thing. Like if you can involve them in picking the things, you get to pick oh, yeah. um, tomatoes and eat them directly off. Kids love it. Like it makes all the difference. Okay. Get your kids to become good strippers. Get that kale and teach them to strip it. They're going to love doing that. I'm going to need to post a video for that because I remember, I think it might have actually been on the stage at Case Western in Cleveland when I brought you to talk where you showed how to strip the kale. YouTube actually wouldn't let us post our video because we called it stripping (laughs) kale. And they they censored us. Oh my gosh. I I remember doing a YouTube video with Michelle a long time ago, Michelle, in your Oakland apartment, in your kitchen, yeah. your tiny little kitchen, and you told the story of how you learned that. And wow, full circle. And you showed me how to strip the kale. Yep. Okay. Hold on. So for the listeners, let's just describe this. You have a big leaf of curly kale and you hold the, the thick stem at the bottom and you take your other hand and you take your little pincher fingers and put it right next to where you're holding the bottom of the kale. And then you swipe it down really fast and it pulls the leaves that you you want to be eating off of the stem that's a little more bitter. And some people don't like eating that or maybe pop in a stir fry or kale. Any, 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 any kale, any, any kale. anything. And it works for ca- uh, collards. collards. And, yeah. and it's the basic thing you do even with some herbs to yeah. just strip, strip like that. Just you got to be a good stripper if you're going to eat, be a good plant-based eater. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I know we'll talk more about this, but I just want to say like, obviously you can cut it with a knife in like almost the same amount of time. But what I love about oh, what you two oh, do. Stripping is so fast. Really can outstrip it's, any and knife. it's fun. Like it just makes cooking fun. You just have so much, like you have a YouTube channel together and you get so playful in the kitchen and you make these otherwise somewhat boring seeming vegetables or food combinations just come alive and be so fun. So yeah, thank you and both for that. Do, and do eat the stems, cut them no. up. Yep. No. Put them in soups. <laughs> Everywhere. And love kale stems. So Jane, you were a little bit older when your family started eating whole foods plant-based and you were also an athlete. What were you eating at that time? I imagine as, as an athlete, you had to be a little bit more health conscious. What did that look like? I wasn't that much older. My, my brother at home and I are, I'm, I'm the third in our family. Rip is the oldest. People often ask if Rip is my son. <clears throat> He's my older brother. <laughs> what? Yeah. You've witnessed that. Anyway, so yeah. I mean, um, you were in college. So you weren't a little, you weren't a kid at home. No, no. Right? I, would just, I was a freshman. So I was, I okay. was, just had left home. But, you know, all four of us are four years apart. So, and I was thinking about this when you asked my mom that question about how'd your kids you know, do this, take this on. <laughs> and it was so interesting because it actually was such a perfect storm. My younger brother, Zeb, was at home still. I think he was a junior in high school, whatever. He was there, but I was just, had gone to college and being a swimmer, 
I actually had been a vegetarian since I was like 15 because I lived in California for one summer where I was training with a national champion swim team. And for various reasons, I started not wanting to eat meat. I don't want to throw them under the bus, but it was kind of the meat they got was not the meat that I saw at home. Didn't look very good. So I stopped. But luckily there in California in 1980 or 81, I learned about beans and legumes. We hadn't, I didn't, had never had hummus. I'd never had had a bean burrito. We were Cleveland, Ohio, 1970s, 80s diet, which was just delicious. And it was delicious, but it wasn't, it wasn't, we didn't have legumes and and lentils and pulses the way that we do now. So I just sort of became a vegetarian then. So it was kind of easy for me when my parents, a couple of years later, for their own reasons, nothing to do with me being a vegetarian, were like, hey, no longer eating, you know, meat and dairy or oil or fat or sugar or salt. And I was like, okay, um, that means I'm going to stop eating dairy and adding fat to stuff. All right. And, you know, at college, I had to eat kind of what was there because you don't buy your food or prepare your food. You have, you're at the dining hall and University of Michigan dining halls. You can imagine just, you know, give these kids calories and get them out of the dining hall. So I ate a ton of like whole wheat bagels back in the day. And I just can't even really remember. Grape nuts, tons of grape nuts. And I discovered what hummus was and just you know, sort of making my way. And it's a process. And the process simply means sometimes you're nailing it and sometimes you're really off the mark. But you know, I went on to win big tens and go to NCAAs and I'm all was well. But what I was thinking about as far as this time being this like golden window for this to happen is my youngest brother was at home and he's the kid who's most likely to kind of push back a little bit, but he was at home and he just didn't push back. I was already vegetarian and I was starting college and figuring out my own. My other older brother, Ted, was at Yale and they had a food worker dining hall strike for like a year and a half. So he had to cook out of a toaster oven in his own bedroom and he also was a swimmer. We all are, we all swam for our colleges. And he would make just sweet potatoes because it fit in the toaster oven he had. So he kind of became this, ate this way because he had to make his own food. Then our, my brother Rip, who you, you interviewed before, but he at this time was at luckily sort of finishing college. And he was on his way home when he lived at home because he was a, a, a professional triathlete. So he was eating his food at home at that time. And I swear, if this window of opportunity was any earlier or later, it may not have been such a sweet spot. But it somehow worked for all four of us to be embracing of the plant-based diet my dad was pushing. That's incredible. And I'm I'm glad to hear that it was not a dramatic change in your life. As an athlete, did you feel anything right away or because you were already eating healthy-ish, was it not as noticeable? I think I just felt a little, because really what I was getting out of my diet was sort of uh, junk foodie things and cheese, but we still were kind of going with the no fat dairy things that were big in the eighties. You guys were probably not even in your parents' minds at this time, but, but um, back then there was a lot of no fat dairy frozen yogurt stuff. I just like stuff that was yucky. So I was still kind of eating things that fit the parameters of how we were eating, but we have since obviously stopped. So I think I felt lighter and, and, and cleaner, if you know what I mean, but I didn't have a great big difference necessarily. I mean, none of us did. We were kind of all so young and just made of stem cells. We're like, you know, young, old, <laughs> you know, I mean, we don't have any of these big stories of like, Oh, I lost 5,000 pounds. And I had six diseases and 50 medications. Like, no, we were kind of, we were really healthy on a high, good trajectory of health as young kids. And it just kind of stayed better or got better and, or stayed there or got better. On to your book, which we have introed in the beginning of this episode and we'll link in our show notes. How did you come to Plant-Based Woman Warrior when you were writing a book? There are so many different topics and many of them are interesting, but how did you land on woman focus? Well, let my mom and me say the title together so we have a clear sense of the title. It is Be a Plant-Based Woman Warrior. Live fierce. Stay bold. 
eat delicious. So hearing you say, hearing my mom say that with me should give you a clue of why I decided to do this. Because this book is absolutely a tip of the hat to my mom. And she's just, she's rolling her eyes because she's heard me say this numerous times and we've written it down so many times, but living next door to my mom and dad, I mean, she truly is my daily dose of hell. Yes. Hell yeah. This is what I want to do. Just ageless living and, you know, blowing, you know, blowing up with vitality and energy daily. It's just beautiful. And, you know, I've written, this is our, my fifth book, my mom's third book. So together we have a whole bunch of cookbooks we've written, but this is the first one that we truly are not writing this as heart disease patients, you know, in our minds. Or for me, I did three books with my brother Rip. So I was like kind of being a firefighter doing all the recipes in those books. But this is truly us. This is how we eat. This is what we do. And let me just add in, when we were doing this book, we knew we were on the right path because at one point we took an assessment of where we were and we had seven breakfasts, eight lunches, nine dinners, and we had 44 desserts. <laughs> so we knew we were right on track for this to be for women. <laughs> um, but I chose women for this, you know, for three, three major reasons. And the first one, obviously, tip of the hat to my mom, as I said. Second, women do most of the mental labor around food. We think about it, we shop for it, we choose it, we select it, we buy it, we store it, we prepare it, we serve it. Majority and of us are women. It. And we cook it. I, yeah, we prepare it. So obviously there's some amazing, beautiful males or non-binary people who, out there who make food for their family community themselves. But the majority of globally, it's women. I mean, it's a non-optional task. And we women do a lot of the non-optional tasks of life. So we also then, by definition, have kind of been giving and creating lifestyle-related diseases without realizing it. This work of love, this work of creativity, this work of providing things that's non-optional, we don't mean to be giving the foundation of disease to people, but we have. So we want people to be fierce and bold and just go with plants. And the third reason I wrote this is, and I know you guys are uh, at the timing of this, haven't had your electronic version or whatever land yet. But in the book, I talk about like food freedom. And as a woman in America, I don't know how you guys have felt in growing up, but I know the majority of my friends and people I know and have, have been students and, and family members, being a woman in America is a tough tough way to go. Just your identity, your body, food, your size, your shape, your, your, your ability, how you identify with yourself is so, so tough. It's wrapped together in such a strange way. So as you guys were referring to me being an athlete, a college athlete, a recruited college athlete, I remember feeling like my brother's I have three of them. My brothers would all swim every day, twice a day for our colleges on scholarship. Here we go. But they haven't spent one minute thinking about the food they're eating, thinking about their body and their size and their shape. But here I was, this like crazy fit, nationally ranked swimmer. And I was so frustrated with the curves I was getting and the shape of my body. But I knew I had to eat to keep training and, and performing and doing what I wanted to do athletically. Anyway, I love the food freedom that came right there. As I mentioned earlier, this was my freshman year of college. And I started to feel this sort of harmony with my body and my ability and my identity. And I love that I didn't, I mean, I don't know who I would have been if I hadn't become a plant-based woman warrior. I don't know what my the toll in my mind would have been and my identity and my sense of food, or there's just so many struggles out there with it. And I feel so wicked lucky that it didn't go any deeper than it did. You are the power behind this book. You are everything. Mommy, it wouldn't have happened without you. I know, but you are. <laughs> anyway, you guys, sorry. I, maybe I talked too much there. No, that is beautiful. And it's a very relatable experience. I know I was a classic college freshman 15 eating ice cream in the dining halls. This was a few years before I went vegan and I was vegetarian. And I was just, it, it's a struggle that many, many, many women can relate to. And the yeah. timing of how your story fell out is so yeah, yeah, a, something for sure to be grateful for. And I love that the name of your book reflects back on the entire history of women through the world. And I'm so glad to be in a place now 
where that's changing and shifting and women are no longer expected by the world to be the ones carrying that burden by default. It's still Mm -hmm. a fight and even in the most progressive of communities. But for those who are or for those who choose to be or or whatever, shifting the burden to something of passion and power and empowerment for what they can give to their family beyond just the responsibility of putting food on the table, but for really creating the health and future of their family and something they can be really proud of is, is a huge thing. How old are your kiddos, you guys? You guys mentioned your kids earlier. I have one kid two and a half toddler and Tony oh. has a fur baby, Eddie. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you guys were both talking about because um, we have, so, I have three kiddos and they're all 20, 21, 22, no, 20, 22, they're all 20, three, 20. 22 and 23. They all, we raise them plant-based. I mean, we kind of let them go to their sleepovers and have pizza and ice cream and come back feeling like, whoa, like they just <laughs> are like almost run <laughs> over. But again, the benign dictatorship at home. And they all have gone on to swim for their colleges as well. And and division three. And like one of our, my daughter, for example, six foot woman, strong as anything, won six of her seven events at nationals, national records and her team Kenyon college won nationals this year. Again, D3. Our son is six foot seven, you know, poor guy. (laughs) Didn't have any, (laughs) didn't have any milk growing up. His poor bone. No, he's, strong as an ox and big as, I mean, six, seven is pretty big. My husband's six too. So we don't know where it came from. Wow. And, it came and our, from me. And our, and our other, <laughs> my other daughter, our other daughter is my mom's size. She's a regular, a regular sized human and she is strong as anything. So I'm just saying that because if anything, you get a leg up being yeah. plant-based you know, tall and clean and, and lean and strong and just whatever. I want to say one comment about the warrior, because I think anybody plant-based today also has to be a plant-based warrior because you have to fight against the junk food world entering into even the vegan junk food, the vegan junk food world, especially the vegan junk food world. It is it is so beckoning. It is so look. It's so delicious looking, and it is. It can be so harmful to your health. But let me also just flip that and say I'm so grateful for the junk food vegan world in some ways because it's helping the planet, yes. which is essential. We'll have no planet upon which to be whole food plant based if there is no. <laughs> right. So, so we need. We need. I really am so thankful. Not for our heart disease patients and stuff, but 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 for the planet and for animals, for gosh sake. But I guess I do, I do feel it's important for kids to learn what <clears throat> things actually taste like, to not have everything smothered in a smoothie. I mean, you know, I mean, learn to like spinach, learn to like mm-hmm. the food as it is, because you, you can't go through life hiding everything's taste. I was thinking you were going to say everything smothered in mayonnaise because that's how I was raised. My parents would feed me boiled cauliflower and boiled broccoli or boiled asparagus with mayonnaise. And so that's like it it was such a retraining of my brain to not crave mayonnaise when I'm eating those three things. Well, you were just, you were eating mayonnaise. You'd probably, they were probably boiled to death and they had no flavor. <laughs> last, last night we had just plain asparagus. I put some lemon on it. It was so good. I mean, it was just so good. Well, and here's the thing you call it, you said, you said a fight. And I think that's really accurate because when you when your convenience foods, when your comfort foods, when the foods you're used to and then everyone else around you is eating that taste good, are not the ones that are the best for you. To change in a different direction that you don't know how to do is a fight. You have to say, I'm not going to eat that chocolate bar, (laughs) you know, or not going to eat whatever that tastes really good that our evolutionary brains are craving because they have fat and sugar and salt or whatever. 
But the thing is, once you figure out those hacks and those secrets of that's not so secret, you just have to kind of try it and tune into it and practice of how to make simple whole foods taste absolutely divine, which it is and it is simple, like asparagus with just whatever seasoning, perfectly baked or grilled, whatever is delicious. Just most people haven't done it. So it's that fight that effort you have to put into pushing yourself to acclimate and try something new. And then it's like, I feel like this happens every time in my family, because in my life, it still does feel like a fight. Like I'm, I'm a very busy working mom so little time. So the convenience of easy, convenient foods for my kids, my family, myself is like very tempting. They're Mm -hmm. vegan, but they're not necessarily the best for our health. And it's just finding the willpower to take those first steps, kind of like learning how to ride a bike. And once you learn it, then it starts to be so easy because you know what to get at the grocery store. You know how to prepare it. And so we want to dig into that a bit. You're both such experts of how to prepare food for yourselves and your family, how to make these whole foods that are so nourishing for us actually taste good. I wanted to respond to what you just said about things being tempting and whatnot. And, and this ties into you, you, Tony. We have a foundation, the Esselstyn Foundation, and we it's a it's a charity nonprofit, and we worked at Brian. What's the we come say the the, the mission, please? To prevent and reverse lifestyle related diseases through the education of plant based nutrition. Sorry, I was getting the okay. I was getting our correct mission statement from the other room. But anyway, the reason I'm saying that is that part of what we do is, um, you know, when COVID came along, we had to do all these presentations virtually versus live, but it ended up being fortuitous because we could reach so many more people. And one of our most watched and appreciated programs was around plant-based eating on a budget. And of course we have your book and we follow your Instagram and everything. But what it, what it's done for us is that, you know, going to, you know, Aldi's, going to Trader Joe's, going to all, you know, a variety of stores and getting things to make it be insanely cheap. Like I bought cocoa the other day, just cocoa powder for our chocolate cake. It's like a dollar eighty at Aldi's. And that's just a quarter of the price of other places. So it is easy and people will move and do things because they know how valuable money is. They will go to a different store. They will choose this product over that. They will take a drive here to save money or they will order it from this place because they know it's going to be helpful to their budget. If we could do the same with what it does for our health and our lives, that's another talk, but it's called choice architecture. It's making the best choice, the easiest choice. So you're absolutely right when you said, like, I've got to have willpower. Willpower, not so much. I think it's the willpower to know what to buy and have that be what's at your house. As as a chef AJ says, if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. Mm -hmm. So this choice architecture, making you know, your the easiest choice you have to make at home be the best choice. Like don't even have the junk around. Don't even have like, oh, this is my emergency junk food in the freezer. You're going to eat that first. <laughs> you know that. Mm-hmm. We did a YouTube recent, uh, yesterday, we, we shoot YouTubes together and we did one about a new recipe in the book called Lucky Nuts. And our, our young videographer, we love our videographer guy. And he's like, it sounds like this is like a male stripper who's about to come on stage. <laughs> And I was like, well, Lucky Nuts is not that. Lucky Nuts is a delicious recipe. And my mom's like, oh, I feel sort of unlucky. And I'm like, what do you mean? This is great. She's like, no, I'm going to eat them all. I'm going to eat all these nuts. They can't come home to our house next door. They have to stay here. So we sent all the Lucky Nuts home with our young videographer because <laughs> we knew we'd eat them. Again, it's the choice architecture. We enjoyed them and had them at the YouTube shoot, but didn't want to keep them in the house. I think your next book should be called Stripping Kale and Lucky Nuts. Oh, <laughs> be careful. I wanted to have one of our books called Whipped, Stacked, and Wrapped. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really I, good point, though. I'm a middle school sex ed teacher, so I, I always talk about this stuff, like the whole big section of this book. Wait it, until you read that section. It's going to revolutionize your thinking about your bodies. <laughs> how how plants powerfully support women is like i do anything i can to get this chunk of information that i put in the book out there and i mean if you guys want to talk below the belt now we can but it's you you have your set of questions so i don't want to interrupt you yeah go for it any time for any other conversation if she gets started <laughs> <laughs> well, well we do we have there, limited time yeah 
before we get there, let's let's see how much time we have at the end. A lot of people who are part of our audience are looking for the practical application. They understand that it's better for their health. They understand that it's better for their families, but it's the day-to-day busy living the grind that makes it difficult. So if you could start by sharing what you eat. And I was actually, I was browsing your Instagram and loved that you put greens in your oats. I was blown away because I don't usually do that. I usually do a more sweeter, fruity version. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if you could start with what you eat for breakfast and keep in mind that a lot of people have jobs and families in the morning, it's a little bit more chaotic. What's a good go-to recipe on your Instagram, on your YouTube, in your book? that you would recommend to someone like that? Endless. I mean, I I eat oats for breakfast. Find a way to eat oats. It's sweet like you do it or however. You can do them right, sweet or not. But But not the the macheted quick ones that come in little packets that they're supposedly be one serving and they're full of sugar and salt. Not that. I mean, that if, if, if you're in a rush getting out, fine. I am able to leave the house at six and still eat my, to catch a plane or something. And still get eat my favorite breakfast, which is one half cup of steel cut oats, fourth teaspoon of turmeric, a, a bit of like a teaspoon of shita, of, shita, of sriracha. T- sriracha hot sauce, and then a couple ha- handful of shiitake mushrooms and two cups of kale chopped, and then put it all in about two and a fourth cups of water. And oh my God, cook it until I like it when it's soup-like and put... Uh, now she cooks it for eight minutes. No, 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 which a little is, longer. But it, it is so good. It, I, I feel set for the day. I and can, you know what it's called in our cookbook? What? Anne's Warrior Oats. Awesome. But, but awesome. there's no excuse not to eat a good, easy breakfast one way or the other with oats. How would you prep that to be really quick in the morning? Do you um, buy pre-chopped before in the rice cooker? No. Well, you could. Absolutely. I've done that. You, you just could. put it in there. It stays warm overnight. And I would make like four, four recipe times four of that because it stays so well in the fridge. It's this bright and it, it's kind of like a dinner because it's a savory oats with mushrooms, with kale, with hot sauce and with nutritional yeast and turmeric. I mean, it is yummy. I mean, we made so much fun of her for so many years. We called it witch's brew. Oh, we just made so much fun, but now we are all addicted. <laughs> I don't like it like that. I would do it in the morning. Get up yeah, well, she's before saying, you brush your teeth. She didn't have- You've done it the night before. Put it on the stove. By the time you're dressed, it's ready. And there is an option to do it in the rice cooker the night before for those who don't have time in the morning, even 10 minutes to take care of themselves. You can't set it up like Ann said. It takes 10 minutes to get dressed. 10 minutes for it to cook. See, we don't wear makeup or we don't fluff and fluff, fluff. We need a shower in the morning. (laughs) We're up and out. Michelle and I live that life as well. We're like, shower? When was your last Showering is optional. (laughs) And the microbiome on your own skin, I hate removing it. I don't like to have big showers. Get rid of it. So next time my family, like my parents give me a hard time about showering. And I, I feel like when I start to smell funny. <laughs> I always shower. I never let it smell bad. Like I never let myself smell bad. I mean, but, we were deodorant. But I haven't washed my yeah, hair in years. Yeah, it's, it's my hair that I don't like to wash. I don't have yeah. washed years. I haven't washed my hair for years. What? Oh. Wow. I'm not mind blown. I wash mine all the time. No. Well, I, once once a week. Once a week. <laughs> no, but I haven't washed for years because I have curly hair. And if you wash curly hair, you just end up with frizz. And like its own natural oils are so good and I run every day, but I wash with hot water and it's not like it smells. It's just, it's conditioned with its own natural, natural oils. Yes. I'm in awe. Okay. So I noticed that you eat a lot of bowls. If anyone listening to this does not follow Jane on social media, you've got to do that right now. And um, I'll link the handle in the show notes, but your whole family's bowls are beautiful and colorful and obviously very nutritious. But if someone is just starting to make bowls, what's your secret 
to making them taste good because not everything pairs well together. You can't just throw all of your spices together. How do you make it taste good with the variety that you have in there? Like she said, the key, like we had a a podcast recently. Someone said, what's your favorite food? And she's like, actually, I know the answer. And we're like, well, then why'd you ask us? She said, well, for every vegan, their favorite food is sauce. That's it, honestly. Because if all of our bowls, and we have a huge section in our cookbook of bowls, are basically made up of really individual ingredients. Like we'll have a, a big bowl of that has greens in it, like spinach or, or arugula or kale or what, just whatever, chopped up, torn up. Cold, cooked or not. So we've got greens in there. We'll have something like a black bean or edamame or chickpeas or tofu or tempeh. Sometimes it's cooked or or lentils. Yeah, just something like that. If it's the seasonal cherry tomatoes, or maybe we'll have chopped up bok choy or napa cabbage or just whatever little, you can have like two pieces of it just wilting in your drawer. No one knows it was wilted when you chop it up. Carrot shreds, purple cabbage is so beautiful, purple onion white onion, green onions, just a little bit of everything. Just chop away. Yeah. Take two minutes and watch the news or, or just meditate while you do it. Doesn't, it doesn't take that long at all. Then we usually put in a cooked brown rice or cooked quinoa or barley or sweet potato, sweet potato or Yukon gold potatoes, or a mix of both those kinds of potatoes or uh, rice noodles, whole wheat noodles. There's just endless amount of complex carbohydrate. And if you have that complex carbohydrate cooked ahead of time, like a bunch of potatoes already cooked in your in your fridge waiting to be included in a bowl, or you have extra noodles when you cook noodles, cook a ton of them. When you cook rice, overcook, like not overcook, but like abundantly cooked rice. And you'll always have a little bit to throw into a bowl. But then the key is the sauce. And we have a huge sauce, sauce, saucy, saucy section in this book of different kinds of sauces from corn sauce to peanut sauce and spicy almond sauce to lemon tahini to three different kinds of pestos. And I mean, some things have a nut base, some things don't, some things have a hummus base. Just throw hummus in a bowl, throw hummus in your bowl, mix it all together. And then you have this. And put a little balsamic vinegar on top. Yeah. Or (laughs) some, or some hot sauce, whatever makes your boogie woogie. And that's it. So just (laughs) easy components with a sauce on top. Hummus is a sauce. I love it. Or guacamole can even be a sauce for y'all. Salsa. I feel like we mentioned mayonnaise several times in this episode of something that was eaten in olden days. So hummus as your mayonnaise swap. Hummus is our new mayonnaise. Hummus is our new butter, our new whatever, cream cheese, our new... One trick that I love that that we've learned in the last few years is to put wrap a sweet potato, garnet or whatever kind... Or I love Japanese sweet potatoes in a tin foil, aluminum foil, and bake it at about 325 for <clears throat> about an hour and a half or so. And it is so tender and so sweet and so wet. It's amazing. Anne has time to do that. But if you don't have time to do that, do it mm-hmm. while you're putting your kids to bed. And then you have a bunch of them in the fridge. If not, it takes eight minutes to cook one sweet potato in the microwave. Yes. That's how I roll on my busy days. My husband's family is um, is Jewish, and and for their my in laws' fiftieth wedding anniversary, we went to Israel, and I was surprised by how often people eat hummus as a meal with of different toppings. Mm-hmm. Isn't that and amazing? It was it was so delicious. It was my favorite place I've traveled to eat. I'm and so envious. We hear wonderful things about about like the tahini in Israel, the hummus oh, in Israel, yes. and the vegan eating in Israel. It's so real. you're validating it. Oh, it, it was really, it was really tasty and fresh, so fresh. Okay, so we are unfortunately running out of time. I want to talk to you. Maybe we can do another one later down the line because I feel like we could talk forever. But we're going to have to blow the belt with you guys because we can't believe yeah, we didn't a get whole, that. That's a episode on that. Yes. (laughs) Um, Where can people find you and your book? Our book is available anywhere books are sold and um, from, you know, Amazon Amazon or uh, barnesandnoble.com, all those places, or support your local bookstore and ask them to get a copy if they don't have one. 
My website, janeesselston.com, is where you'll find information about events we have. Like we have a plant-based woman warrior event coming up this fall. I know that we're probably taping this before you air it, but we every March I have an event around the International Day of the Woman. And it's been, it's woman-focused, you know, prevent inverse heart disease for women or Alzheimer's disease or cancer, da, 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 whatever the topic is, the comorbidity for women. And it's always incredibly food focused along with research and other professionals, docs, researchers, scientists who I try to get women as the speakers. And we have a, I say we, because my mom is my partner in crime in all this, but my Instagram is mostly about us. And that's Jane. You can put it in the show notes. I don't even know. I think it's Jane underscore Esselstyn underscore RN because I'm an RN. And also, we have a YouTube channel. And when we started it, Penguin Publishing was like, please do not call this the title of your of our book at the time, which was Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook, because they're like, we don't know what you guys are going to get up to. So please don't call it that. And you can't give away recipes for free that are published. It's, it's you know, it's, it's our copyrighted content. That's one thing we come up against. Everyone's like, where's the recipe? And we're like, well, we can't share it because otherwise we wouldn't have books to publish. So we can, we have to choose just a few. Anyway, we encourage everyone to cook along with us and it's a ton of fun and it's a free resource for everybody who's watching. And YouTube channel is called Jane Esselstyn because we didn't know what else to call it. My mom did not know what YouTube was at the time. She thought that I had invented YouTube. (laughs) We'll we'll link all of those uh, in our show notes. And we thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and experience with our audience. I hope they will go and follow you, buy your book, and continue to learn from you down the line. Continue to be plant-based Woman warriors who live fierce, stay bold, and eat delicious. We love that. And they're going to learn so much from both of you and Uh your wisdom, too. So much. As they already have. As we have. Right. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Thank you again. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. A quick reminder to check out our sponsors of this episode, Caraway Home and Paco Foods. You can visit carawayhome.com slash plant-powered kitchen to get 10% off your next purchase of their beautiful nonstick healthy cookware. And you can visit mypaco.com, mypawco.com, and you can get 50% off the first box of their meaty vegan dog food. Thank you so much to both of our sponsors. We were not joking when we were talking about how vibrant they are. They have such great personalities and it was wonderful to chat with them. Make sure to check them out on Instagram and their new book, Be a Plant-Based Woman Warrior, which we will include in the show notes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And if you're newer to our worlds and maybe you haven't connected with us in all the places yet, be sure to find all of Tony's fun things at plantbasedonabudget.com. You can find all my stuff at worldofvegan.com. And we also have a podcast email list and we invite you to join that at plantpoweredpodcast.com. Um, we email pretty infrequently, but we'll let you know when we have new episodes go live. And sometimes we share other fun recipes and things in there as well. So you can find that again at plantpoweredpodcast.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.